0: Hello and welcome to The Universe From Here. This is The Universe From Here speaking. As per usual, I do not have a script for this introduction. I don't have a script for the show. We just kind of shoot from the hip. Play it loose. Alright, so I interviewed a YouTuber named Patrician TV. I will leave a link in the description on this podcast. Uh, He made a video about the game Morrowind from the Elder Scrolls series, which I'm a big fan of. And I made it a point to reach out to him to see if he wanted to talk more about his uh, thought process behind making the video. And we delve into other topics stemming from that. But... Uh, I do want to put out there that people that listen to this podcast might not be familiar with all the video games that we reference. Uh, it, might be, uh, it might not be up your alley, but that's totally okay. So if you don't want to listen to a podcast about video games, that's cool. But I will note that we go into other topics uh quite a bit, it starts different conversations, so it's it's not like 100% video games. Uh, if there's anybody new listening, this is not a video game podcast, so my apologies if that's what you're looking for, but this is just not it. So, anyway, uh, basically this podcast is just about shit that I'm interested in, to be frank, so... <laughs> My name isn't Frank though, I'm the universe from here, so we can just go from there. Now, I will make it clear that I have never met this person before. Um, I had a couple of interactions with them over Discord. Um, I called him up on a Skype call. We probably talked for about five minutes, and I just kinda said what I wanted shoot for and that was about it i didn't have any questions laid out we just shot the shit for over two hours actually Um, i didn't really edit anything out except for i had some uh, bleed over from the headphones i was using so you might hear like an ambient hum from a fan when i'm talking and his recording was good enough just to leave it as it is I'm not sure what filters or whatever he used, but it was a very excellent recording, so I do want to put that out there. Anyway, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. It's kind of cool to meet new people and get different perspectives about things. I I will say that it was kind of uh, it was a little bit humbling as an interviewer, because mostly people I interview, it's like people that I've talked to, you know, several times before I kinda I kinda get used to what they're talking about. So if you find that we're talking about a subject and I just kinda dump into a different one, it's just like okay, well, do you wanna like ramble on and sound like an idiot about something you don't know much about, or do you just wanna like go back to the focus of what you know is applicable to the situation, so yeah i think uh this is it was a pretty fun podcast for me It was definitely a learning experience this dude's super smart though uh i think it'd be cool to kind of delve in deeper to some of the shit we were talking about so i'm sorry if like you get interested in a topic and then we just like i just kind of slide back off of it like "Uh, so how do you think about this but yeah um Yeah, so a different style of interview, I suppose. Um, Yeah, uh, if you don't like it, that's totally fine with me. If you do like it, please let me know. Please leave a five-star review on, what, Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever the fuck you're listening on. I'm not sure what you're listening on, but... uh, Yeah, so that's about it. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with... patrician tv go and check him out on youtube if you like him subscribe leave a comment do all the things that the algorithm likes because i really think his content should be appreciated he definitely definitely takes the time to make quality products for people and it it really shows in this interview so anyway i think that about covers all of it, yeah, we'll just get right into the show. Thank you so much for listening, hope you have a wonderful day, here is the show. Hello and welcome to the universe from here, I'm joined by, er, <laughs> do you want to say your YouTube channel?
1: Uh, yeah, just say Patrician TV. you can shorthand
0: it as Pat, I've done that a few times. Okay, so... You are a YouTuber that I recently found that did a seven hour long, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like a video essay or dissertation on the game Morrowind from the Elder Scrolls series. Um, what would you like to talk about today? Uh, well, we can kind of get into
1: motivations about why I did it. Um, Yeah, you mentioned dissertation. Uh, So I remember reading that dissertations are usually around like 60,000 words because there's a presentation element to their nature. Um, So my video was closer to like 90,000 words, which is just like a normal novel um, with a lot more video editing, obviously. But I've been compared a few times to like really epic writers and that's not accurate at all. I don't think people have an accurate idea of length in relation to word count. Okay. And, um, I don't, I don't know.
0: Oh, that's just defining a word. Uh, I'm not even sure how I define dissertation, but anyway, it's easily a video essay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually I've been wanting for a long time to break down a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, Marwind, and uh I kinda had a similar thought as to how it would go and it, I think it looks like something like what you did. So I feel good that somebody else out there took the time to fucking do it. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: that that's it, kinda why I reached out. I was just wanna I think that you know, there's see what was on your mind about that
1: i think people have a lot to say about the game and i think that there's something that's unresolved about it and i it's probably the fact that it's a unique formula that hasn't really been explored a lot like you can find 90s era shooters in a lot of games now or you can find immersive sims in a lot of games now or even stealth games or real-time strategy but that open world I'm gonna interact with the world, I'm gonna be a part of a faction, I'm gonna be a s I could be a small character or I could be a hero. That's a lot rarer. And especially with the kind of exotic design of Morrowind, um there's never really been closure for that. And so that's why I think there's such a rabid fan base that's just ready to watch anything Morrowind that has even the slightest bit of effort put into it.
0: Uh, do you think uh, there would ever be an attempt to recreate Morrowind from Bethesda, or do you think they've gone down the dark path?
1: I don't think <laughs> I don't think from Bethesda, and it's because there's too much money involved. So you have to look at it like I don't know if you've seen my series on Fury, but Fury was a game that was developed by a double A studio, which is a studio that operates they're higher than indie so they have a couple million dollars in their budget but they're not triple a they don't have tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars to make games um with a game like fury they were trying to appeal to a niche audience and so that's not an audience where they're going to make a ton of money so they can't spend a ton of money and that's kind of what you're getting when you appeal to morrowind look I fully understand that if you embrace some of the design philosophies of Morrowind, like text-based dialogue and hit chance, you're not going to make any kind of top seller list. But you have to budget according to that to appeal to that audience. It's like horror movies. You know, the film industry's kind of figured this out. So, will Bethesda do it? Absolutely not. They just got acquired. Who bought them out? Uh, Microsoft. Microsoft. Bear in mind, oh, really? yeah, a lot of people are saying it's it's done. They have to realize that these deals take months to finalize and work out and ha- actually have any kind of meaningful impact. But, yeah, I reported it on my channel. I deleted the video because it was kind of a shit post that um, Microsoft had acquired ZeniMax, which is they own Bethesda, but that's not really an accurate way of describing their relationship. It's more mutual than that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um yeah, there's just too much money involved. I mean, they bought Bethesda for more money than Disney bought Star Wars,
0: which says a lot. Damn. Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, I guess why I even asked that question, because it, it doesn't seem like the logical route, but when you get such huge companies involved, I feel like the potential for, you know, baiting people into playing a A Morrowind re-release could be pretty high. Um, You know, you saw that with, like, I'm not sure if you follow Blizzard games, but they re-released Warcraft 2, and it was just a clusterfuck. But they were trying to do it to appeal to that rabid audience that they had. It's
1: possible, and you kind of saw that with ESO's expansion for Morrowind, which was named Morrowind, um, that kind of bastardized a lot of things about what was going on during the time period of ESO in Morrowind. But if I to say that if I can see them doing it, um they kind of did it with Halo, where they've re released stuff. So from a Microsoft angle, I can see them trying to kind of bait people into nostalgia and stuff. But I think Morrowind's one of those things where no executive kind of wants to touch it if that makes sense Mm, like not meaningfully yeah because and I'll be honest the Morrowind fan base is super autistic (laughs) yeah
0: yeah I could agree (laughs) I actually uh I bought the Master Chief collection when the uh first Halo came out for it Mm -hmm. and I feel like I got that nostalgia trap because right when I booted it up, I had two controllers plugged into my computer and I was like, I was going to play a split screen with my wife and I was looking through the menus and I just could not find split screen. Turns out they didn't even put it on there. So I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, they kind of... when I, I mentioned the Halo remaster in one of my videos and somebody criticized me for it. And um, because I said it was kind of a good thing, and I do consider elements of it to be a good thing, but they did drop stuff from the original formula that made it work. And they would probably do the same thing with Morrowind. In fact, I could say they would definitely do the same thing because uh, modern devs like to uh, tamper with those older formulas. I mean, you got to find some guys that have some serious principles who say, we're here to preserve the old art.
0: Right. I think most of those people are gone from that company now, aren't they?
1: Yes, and a lot of the people who are there are going to be guys who, you know, were coming up on Oblivion and Fallout 3 and went to, went and got degrees because of those games and got their dream jobs.
0: Um. So what's your favorite game? That's always been a difficult question for me
1: because the more invested you get into a media, the more uh, complicated it gets to answer that question. Let me just pull up steam here and uh, I'll look through some stuff because I tend to go through phases of like what I'm interested in. So I've never really been able to concretely say, oh, this this is definitely my favorite. There's just sort of like a list of stuff I can recommend.
0: Right. Um, do you play any Kojima games
1: Uh, the only one I've played is the 5th Metal Gear Solid and that was because it was on PC but I have watched like and the reason is because they're mostly Playstation games and I haven't had a Playstation until very recently so I haven't really had the chance to but I have seen like playthroughs of the first 4 Metal Gear Solid's so, yeah. like, I'm familiar with the franchise, I just haven't played it.
0: Uh, there, There's a guy that makes videos kind of similar to yours called Futrasound Productions, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, He has just long-form content talking about all the history of Metal Gear and all the connections to the real world, and it's kind of crazy to get into. But yeah, I really like... Uh, Long-form content. That's probably why I enjoy podcasts so much, Mm -hmm. because for the past ten years, I normally work mostly just by myself, so I'll be operating heavy machinery. Uh, People don't tend to bother me or talk to me most of the time, so I can just plug in some headphones and let podcasts go for, you know, eight hours, ten hours a day sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I just, like, soaking up information. I
1: touched on that in my video, and there were people who were like, this is getting too real because I think there's a lot of adults who are in that situation who are probably listening to this right now because, you know, this is the kind of thing you put on when you're at work. Um, When you... Kids are a very small, small percentage of my audience, and in part because I'm tapping the nostalgia well, and in part because... Um, kids just don't have the attention span for longer stuff so when I was a kid I mean I wasn't interested in this kind of stuff but this kind of stuff also didn't exist um, I was kind of around when Matthew Matosis first put out his like five hour long Dark Souls video like six years ago or whenever that was mm-hmm. so and there was always kind of this stigma against long form content and you still see some of that, but I think a lot of people are realizing that, you know, it's content made by adults. It's for adults, you know. Yeah. You have to choose to watch it, and a lot of people do choose to watch it. Um, I've gotten people who say that they've listened to my video while they sleep. Now, that could be a condemnation that uh, your video is fucking boring and it put me to sleep, but, <laughs> you know, there's kind of an element to it where people are telling me that my voice is nice enough that they can listen to it sleep, and I've never really heard that before.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Um, I don't know, I guess I used to put some YouTube videos on, just to pass out for them. But, I use rain uh, noise. Yeah, generally I got like fans going in my room now, so just some sort of ambient buzzing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess we should touch on this before we get too far um i'd like you to explain what exactly happened with your youtube channel so for i started around uh late 2018
1: and it was not the first youtube channel that i've had i'm not going to get into detail about what was going on with the other channels but they weren't very good um i got started with game analysis with fury And actually, I got started with uh, Skyrim, of all things, years ago, and I released a part zero that was like 20 minutes long of a Skyrim video, and it wasn't very good, and nobody saw it, and I'm glad for that. But it kind of informed what I was going to be doing and what I was going to be perfecting that year with the Fury videos, which was, um, I learned a lot of things about structure. And I guess I should say... I've always been inspired to create by things I enjoy, like uh, I tried drawing because I like drawings and I wasn't very good at it. I tried making music, not very good at it. I drum now. I'm decent, but not great. But, you know, you can see this pattern in my life where I'm trying stuff that I like and I'm not very good at it. And so eventually I decided that I would try making videos. And it turns out that I'm a lot better at making videos than I was at anything I had done before that. So I started with the Fury series and got maybe like 200 views. Um, Fury's, like I said, a niche game. It doesn't really draw a lot of attention. And it was split up into parts, so it didn't even have the appeal of like, "Oh look, this guy made a two-hour video." For the next two years, I would spend my time kind of honing my craft. And I like to think that you can see the progression of how I was as a YouTuber throughout my videos. Even through the Morrowind series. The seven-hour video kind of covers that up because I standardize a lot of things. But you can tell how rusty I was in, like, part two, uh, which was from Christmas Day of 2019. So, you know, I spent a lot of time below 100 subscribers. So not getting a viewership, you know, I could muster 50 views. I had to shill to get 100. I was happy with a video when it got 250, you know, 250 views. Like, not even enough that if it was monetized, I would get paid. So I spent a lot of time at the bottom, and I didn't share my work, and I was just honing my craft. And I got to the end of this year. And I had a simple plan with this year, which was, I'm going to finish the Morrowind video towards the end of November, and then Cyberpunk will come out on November 19th, and I'll play it, and I'll be one of the first people to release a review, and kind of, I can just keep coming up for air in the sense of, I'll review a modern, trendy game, capture some audience, and then go back to what I was doing. Okay. Okay. Well, 2020, as usual, fucked everything up. So Cyberpunk got delayed to December. And so there was this eight-week hole in my channel after the Dishonored video where nothing was happening. And I released that final Morrowind video, which was a compilation but also an edit. There was a lot of work that went into the audio engineering. There was some color correction. Um, There was some script redrafting that happened. I rewrote an entire section so it's a lot more than just i put the parts together but i released that and it got like 40 views on the first day and then i shared it out and it caught on and it's because and i attribute it to this it's called a quick retrospective and it's seven hours and 53 minutes long that's just funny (laughs) and there's a lot of people who think they are funny you know, kind of coming in and leaving comments. And if even like 1% of those people get stuck and end up watching the video, you know, that, there's a lot of watch time in that. So you, then YouTube went crazy. December's kind of a good month for YouTubers because it's when um, advertisers are willing to pay the most money to get their ads served. So because there's so many people, you know, it's the holiday season. A lot of people have time off. More people are watching content and so i was kind it was just kind of the right place with the right video um the thumbnail was probably important i don't know really of any other content creator that has actually had a thumbnail where they used like a romantic era painting as the basis for for it um and so kind of what the charts looked like was like just an exponential graph every day and every day it got steeper and steeper and so and I mean it started with you know oh you got 300 views well that was exciting but it's gonna die down soon and then it's oh you got 700 views oh you've got 1500 and so it was exciting because very quickly I passed 100 subscribers and on YouTube 100 is usually uh, the difficult threshold that you have to, co- to to conquer. The the pro YouTube help people are like 100 is the most difficult, and then and then the next thing that's as difficult is a yeah. thousand. Well, we blew right through that. And um, I said in my follow up video, uh, YouTube sent me the email that I had passed a thousand subscribers. Six hours after they sent me the email welcoming me into the partner program, which itself has a review (laughs) process. So, you know, just today I've unlocked the membership feature, um, which was supposed to happen like two weeks ago. So I've kind of like overwhelmed the system. Because, you know, it's this big, awkward, clunky machine where it's like, finally the script that checks if i'm eligible for this feature kicked on but it was way too late because it's supposed to be slow you're not supposed to you know you're supposed to build yourself up video after video you're, most people don't grow with one video on youtube yeah so to go from an average view count of 100 to Uh, It's like 330,000
0: now. Um, Yeah, just for context for people listening that don't know, um, you're currently at 18.4 thousand subscribers and 328,000 views on this particular video.
1: From 72 subscribers and 100 views.
0: From 72, yeah.
1: So that by itself is pretty phenomenal and, uh, you know, scared the shit out of me, obviously. Because you spend a lot of time wanting this thing. And then when you get it, you're desperate not to let go. And I've kind of had to calm myself down and be like, look, even if I lost half of what I've gotten so far, that would still be better than where I was a year ago. Much better. And it would be still be better than how a lot of people have it on the platform. You know, a lot of people have to... I think, like, Mr. Beast, right? You know, famous YouTuber, gets releases a video, gets millions of views, makes an astronomical amount of money. Spent, like, five years, you know, grinding at the bottom of YouTube. He's kind of the symbol of the, the meritocracy that YouTube's supposed to be of, you know, he's some guy who did the work and was successful. But... I do think there's sort of an abusive element to it too, because I don't think it's reasonable for somebody to spend years working for free, especially if they're, uh, if they're trend chasing where they're not making content that they enjoy. Um, you know, they spend the years working for free and then they get nothing from it and burn out. Um. Uh,
0: so, do you have a plan going forward yet, or are you still just getting your footing? Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh,
1: A lot of December was getting the footing part. I've kind of got a general idea now. I mean, I have my next... I'm already working on the next video, um, which is... There's obviously going to be a, an Oblivion version. Um, oh, perfect. There was, I actually decided I was going to do it before all this happened so, like the first oblivion recordings on twelve six, and the morrowind video went up on twelve seven. um so like i already knew it was going to happen but i'm also doing the this... there's this phenomenon on youtube where once somebody has a successful video they make like seven versions of it and each one gets like 10 percent less views until it's back to, back to mean right hmm. that's not what i'm doing in the sense I'm still doing what I was doing and I tried to tried to kind of prime people for the fact that I wasn't an Elder Scrolls channel and um you know I just did general stuff and I talked about video games in general so that's kind of how I've been trying to work around it I started the discord by request and then I made the mistake of going hey for a limited time you can get this role um (laughs) That was a a brilliant marketing move, but a, a genuine mistake um
0: oh what what's the role
1: it was I'm the not familiar with that it was the patrician role if you joined the discord on the first twenty four hour if before the follow up video and the first twenty four hours of the follow up video if you joined the discord, you got a special role it doesn't do anything you don't get part of a special channel or anything. Your name is just green on discord well oh, okay it's a brilliant marketing idea because there's so many people that have this fear of missing out that they're like, I got to get in, you know? And so completely overwhelmed to the moderation. It was a server of like 35 people. Now there's like 2000 in there. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's kind of cool to see. I think there's a lot of people who are, you know, younger than me who would have that happen to them and would just be, you know, freaked out because, um, they wouldn't be comfortable with all these Morrowind fans kind of coming in and being autistic as Morrowind fans are and having uh, violent discussions about politics. Which, by the way, to date this, the day after I released the video, so the prime time of when people would be joining the Discord server, uh, Washington, D.C. was having a state of breakdown and the Capitol building was being stormed. So that was constructive to what was going on in the Discord server. All
0: right. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting event. Uh, we don't need to get into that, but I think definitely everybody no, in the but, world was watching. But it def- <laughs>
1: it does inform kind of the energy that people had at the time. And people are, you know, uh, I, I, I can yeah. I can tab over the Discord and see the massive argument that's going on over there right now. So. And I think that's going on everywhere, because I think that, you know, people are politically incensed. Now, I am only political when the media I'm talking about is political. So when I review a Call of Duty or a Bioshock, which are games that cover politics, I talk about it. And I did talk about politics when it came to Morrowind, and particularly I talked about libertarianism because it's something that comes up. I talked about you know, theocracy in relation to the tribunal temple. So I'm political in the sense of analysis because I recognize that art is political, but I'm not going out of my way to preach what I believe to people because that's right. not my place. I'm a clown. I entertain people. You know what I mean? Like I could be juggling balls on the side of the road. You know, I'm I'm just an entertainer. You, who gives a shit what I think about stuff that's serious all right and so Um. that was the other thing with the with covid was i got people reaching out to me that were like you know you're the only good thing that happened this year which is a hell of a thing to say to someone by the way um definitely and you know there was somebody who was like you know i'm going through a hard time my husband's just deployed um You know, there were people that were like, you're the only thing that's, you know, made Christmas tolerable with this season because, you know, a lot of people have had family issues with covid and especially the political situation, because, of course, you can't live in a household where you disagree with somebody. God forbid. But. You know, it's kind of our role as entertainers to kind of distract people from what's going on and not make a big deal I mean, you can, and there, there's there's room for comedy for that. Like, I don't know if you watch Red Letter Media. They've been poking fun at COVID this entire time. But, right. you know, I'm just trying to um, give people a little bit of entertainment and a little bit of distraction from what's going on outside.
0: Um, so do you have any background in entertainment?
1: Um Yes. I did, uh, when I was in high school, I was in theater and I did some, uh, collegiate theater as well. I've also done some, did, did some writing stuff. I was, you know, obviously published at an associate level and the, in the, in, in the, the bullshit magazine that everybody gets published in. Um, so I've always found entertaining people to be kind of its own reward because, you know, like i said you know 2020 is not the only fucked up year where things are messed up you know that's just kind of life that's how things have been for a long time <laughs> yeah so you know the the idea that like hey come to this theater you can watch us put on a show um you know that that will be 2 hours that you don't got to think about how you know expensive health insurance is that kind of has that has an appeal to me or like engaging with people's imagination but what I found was that like fictional writing I'm not very good at it and um, it's just boring to me as a writer I found that like engaging in people's kind of relationship with media has been more interesting to me than actually creating my own you know fictional worlds and so that was more of of like the theater background. So in a sense, I do kind of have experience with like presentation and stuff, but not really any like, you know, TV or film experience because that just didn't exist where I live.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's kind of an important first step getting into any sort of media um, is actually physically getting up on a stage. Mm-hmm. um is i used to play well, you know in like what middle school or something through high school i was always in uh some sort of choir band class type thing and i ended up uh forming bands with different people and this was kind of as the internet was just starting to pick up steam and people were just starting to get like smartphones and stuff mm-hmm. um You know, we'd hand out flyers around town saying, hey, we're renting out this Grange Hall. Like, come and check out the concert. And we did enough to where I think the biggest concert that we organized, they played, had 500 people. It was, like, at the capacity of the building that we were renting.
1: I think any entertainer is obligated to stand in front of 500 people and try to make them laugh or make them feel something. Yeah. Like you don't understand kind of humility until you look out into a crowd of 500 people and, uh, you have to fucking dance in front of them. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was dancing around like an idiot, fucking Mm -hmm. singing and playing guitar and shit (laughs) for sure. You should have seen some (laughs) of
1: the costumes I had to wear in front of people. And one of the highest compliments I got was as an actor was, um, you know, I saw you up there and you weren't anything like the person I know, which I is a really good compliment as an actor because it means I was successful. Yeah, And um, I think there are a lot of people who are kind of, you know, amateur entertainers who've never experienced that. So if you are one of these people who are interested in making it big online, you might consider, you know, joining like a college production of or, or your local theater house of, of just some kind of show. And even if you're a background character or a side character, doesn't have any fucking lines, just getting in front of the crowd um, might be a, an important learning experience. Definitely. Of course, who the fuck can even get in front of a crowd these times? What, what the hell am I talking about?
0: Yeah, I think that should definitely be changing. I mean, it ought to ease up. Some-
1: I I had an idea which was like, you could. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Starkid. They're no. a Chicago theater troupe that does. Um, they're a YouTube channel too, and they record their uh, their the musicals they put on, and the you know some of them are it's hit and miss, but some of them are really good shows that I would recommend, and I think there's kind of an opportunity for. Uh, a theater troupe to kind of step in and go, hey, we're going to live stream our, our performances on Twitch, and we're going to post them on YouTube, and every night on Twitch will be a little bit different with our show. And so instead of relying on, like, in-person, hey, come buy tickets, it would be, you know, there's a lot of money to be made from fan donations who are just excited to see your show. And it would get around that, that need for in-person kind of participation that... um you're probably not familiar with how the theater industry is kind of suffering before COVID even happened uh, with attendance and kind of getting people interested. And that's why ticket prices went up,
0: which didn't uh, I, I could imagine that, um, seeing how most people just get their entertainment off their phones nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, so going to see a bunch of people dressed up in Lycra and singing about cats is... <laughs> not not the most <laughs> not the most engaging use of time
0: yeah I mean, there's something to be said though for actually having a bunch of people that are going there t- directly to see this specific thing like everybody has, has the same energy in the room mm-hmm. and that really contributes to what the performance actually is um, that's my only problem with like say live streaming stuff uh, I've heard of comedians trying to live stream their stand-up stuff and it just I think, doesn't seem appealing to me but. i
1: think that's like the crucible of how how good of a comedian they are is can you entertain a group of people when they're not surrounded by friends because there's this kind of concept with video games where it's like yeah we recognize that call of duty is pretty shit but the reason we play it is because all our friends play it and so yeah. when you're with your friends your judgment of a game tends to go up and um so i think it's the same thing with comedians you know i think it's a lot easier for a comedian who has a crowd in front of him to make people laugh than a comedian who's you know just talking into a microphone
0: yeah cuz it yeah i think uh, the true challenge is when you got seven people in a room who have no idea who the fuck you are trying to get them to laugh
1: <laughs> oh yeah uh and that that's kind of the same thing too i think like a new comedian would have better luck with a crowd of 500 people than a crowd of five
0: yeah i could see that for sure and so uh what was behind your name choice are you so there's are you trying are you going to be a roman aristocrat one day <laughs>
1: So there's kind of this old meme in inter- inter- image board culture when it comes to media and it's uh, uh you're probably familiar with tier lists. Um uh, yeah. this so this predated that and that's where kind of the concept came came from but you you would just say like oh I played Morrowind it's god tier or I played you know some other game and it was shit tier. And so yeah. there k- kind of came there there's the patrician and plebeian divide. Um Which was just kind of a pseudo-intellectual way of saying, this is patrician music. Only only elitist, you know, big-brained boys listen to this kind of music or play this kind of (laughs) game or watch this kind of film. (laughs) Yeah. That was kind of the energy I was going for, was I'm an elitist and I talk like an elitist and I give that energy. I'm going to lean into that. And um, it wasn't even, like, a historical thing. Like, I've learned more about the history of Rome and running this Discord channel than I actually knew before <laughs> all this took off. So, yeah. like, you know, history history was never, never the thing. It's just... It, it's kind of, like, an interesting, you know, name that says, fuck you, listen to me.
0: I like it. Oh, you definitely... I don't want to come off the wrong way, but I feel like even just talking to you now because, well, we've never met in real life or anything. Mm -hmm. This is actually the first time I've ever talked to you just for people listening. Um, I feel like every answer you're giving is like cold and calculated, even though it hasn't been rehearsed at all.
1: Yeah, that's because I tend to to spend a lot of time thinking about what I'm going to say before it happens. So like when you proposed this, I was like, okay what's he probably going to ask and can I kind of anticipate that? And so I was kind of ready for some stuff, but you know, as much of an asshole as the, as the meme of patrician is, um, one thing I try to get across is that I'm honest and I try to be humble about things. I try to recognize that as a YouTuber, I have it. I now have it a lot better than a lot of other people. And, um, even as a person I tend I really have it a lot better than a lot of people and it's not my place to kind of come along and be like look at these fucking losers at CD Project Red for putting out Cyberpunk 2077 in such a broken state that's not why I'm here that's not what I'm trying to do and so that's what some people appreciated about the Cyberpunk video was I secluded myself from the media to make that review and gave as honest a take as possible. And I think people recognize honesty more than anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I recognize that for sure. <laughs> um, man, one reason I wanted to... Or they asked you earlier about the Kojima games... Mm-hmm. um have you have you seen reviews on death stranding
1: yes i have i'm familiar with white light's own seven hour uh review of death stranding um so it's an interesting looking game I haven't played it um I wanted to play it because there's some multiplayer experiences where you got to be there for the first month for you for it to be glowing and so I feel like if I join now I'll be missing out on the experience of of its that game's multiplayer, but it looks just uh, like. I a... wouldn't say
0: so because okay. it it recently went on sale. I think for like twenty or thirty bucks, and I was looking at like the Humble Bundle store, and it was the top selling one for like two weeks or so. Um, I I played it over Christmas, and there was mm-hmm. definitely a lot of people online at the time while I was playing it and I was actually playing on ps4
1: I'm not worried about population I'm more so worried about missing having missed the boat on like because in that game you everything's connected by a network and um you know you can tell I'm talking out my ass here and just kind of saying what I've seen you haven't played it yet Yeah, yeah of course. So. You know, everything's connected. Once you connect to the network, you start seeing other people's contributions to the world. And I feel like I would have missed that. Like I connect to the network and, you know, the high the super highways done and all that. And uh So to kind of give an example, like Rainbow Six Siege is a game I have a lot of fond memories of. It's total shit tier, but um I have fond memories of it because I played it in the first month when people didn't know much about the maps or there wasn't a defined meta to the game mm, and that was the yeah. most interesting time because you were going through the experimentation. If you play the game now, you know, you're in for kind of just a stock uh you know, SWAT shooter. Yeah. So, um even from like not a multiplayer perspective, just like a single player thing, I think I would enjoy Death Stranding just because I enjoy experimentation with like mechanics. And, like, that it's obvious that when Kojima sat down and drew up the design documents for that game, he was like, what's topical right now? Walking simulators. Okay, can I take a walking simulator and make it interesting? Like, that mm. feels like what his thought process was. And I kind of... I have to respect that. Um, I find Kojima interesting because he's such a polarizing figure.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Like, there are people out there who vehemently despise kojima
0: yeah uh, i was really surprised uh by death stranding because actually i bought a ps4 specifically to play that game mm-hmm. um, it's e- it was either death stranding or bloodborne to buy a ps4 pretty much I, yeah i bought bloodborne right along with it for sure um and yeah so i was cut off from watching other people's reviews and stuff i just wanted to experience the game for myself and see what it actually was and uh when i finished it it actually turned out to be one of my favorite games like that i've ever played which is very interesting to me um but then i started watching these videos and people were just trashing on it dude and mm-hmm. i couldn't understand like yeah, you know, I, I get some of the things they're complaining about but i'm like are, are you not seeing the forest through the trees or whatever the saying is, you know?
1: <laughs> there's kind of an industry that exists around outrage now on YouTube. I mean, there's always been an outrage industry, but this is one where um, where it's really started to get kind of toxic. And I think uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven's kind of exposed it because the game has a lot of issues. And not just in bugs. But bugs are what people talk about because... Um, that's the egregious thing that you can point to and say, ha-ha, look at these fucking losers. And it's like, right. well, hold on. In terms of game, they didn't release anything that was any different than any other AAA publisher. And there, somebody in my comments was like, well, I only got 40 hours out of the fucking game. And I'm like, well, what do you want from the game? You got 40 hours of entertainment out of it. You like in 2019, you go to a movie theater, you're paying $15 to lose 90 minutes of your life. And so you're upset that you only got 40 hours out of a game. You know, you go and play the single player of any other game, and it's only like eight hours or 12 hours long. And, you know, it's also buggy and a mess. And so what I've kind of realized is. CD Projekt Red has been hung by their honesty. That's kind of the phrase I've coined to describe this. Because unlike everybody else who downplayed the bugs, who shifted the blame, who used every trick in the book to lie their way out of responsibility, CD Projekt Red kind of took it on the nose and said, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to hand out refunds. We're going to delist it from you know the PS4 store page. And so these fucking vultures took advantage of that and said, here's their moment of weakness. Let's strike. This is why Hello Games disappeared for a month when they released No Man's Sky before they made their mm. statement. Mm. Um, you see the same thing happening on YouTube too with the all these pedo scandals, right? Some guy fucking sends pictures of his dick to a kid, but because he lies and manipulates his way around the response he's fine while the guy who was honest and was like yeah i fucked up she was like two years younger than me and it wasn't legal you know he's getting hung by his honesty he didn't lie his way out of the situation so he's getting the worst of it compared to the guys who lied and so that's what kind of seems really scummy about it to me is that people are being honest and you're taking advantage of that
0: yeah that's a complex issue um it's almost like well i think people are really getting addicted to you know getting like internet points and mm-hmm. you know a place like reddit is essentially by design exactly what 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 that's doing i mean like you literally get a number next to your post based on how many people interact with it, mm-hmm. and um uh, i don't know the There's just nothing tangible. It's like you don't actually get anything out of it. It's just like a serotonin boost or something. Right. At least I can say say the
1: YouTube outrage people got paid. The people who go on Reddit or on Facebook or on any of these sites and just, you know, they don't contribute anything meaningful. They're just, you know, posting. What are they getting out of it? Um, And I know what they're getting out of it. You can sell your you know, successful Reddit account to marketing firms or, um, oh, really? Yeah. No, there's a, trust me, if, if there's a social media, there's a way to profit off of your internet points.
0: Hmm. I didn't really think about it like that. Mm -hmm.
1: So I actually got a sponsorship offer recently and it was something that was completely unrelated to my channel, but, um, you know, I thought it was interesting. Like, there's a, there's a whole crowd of people who are on YouTube just for the monetization aspect of it. Like, Do you know what YouTube monet or automat, automization is? No. It's the idea of, I'm going to pay a freelancer to write a script. I'm going to pay another freelancer to voice the script. And I'm going to pay a third freelancer to edit the video. And then I'm going to make more money than I paid the freelancers to have the video on YouTube and there's a lot of there are a decent number of channels out there like that and there's um these guys who kind of sell that idea so the the pr- ruthless you know extraction of wealth from the internet i think has kind of damaged the old discourse of yesteryear that used to happen
0: yeah i'd have to agree with that um Yeah, the internet really is different. I mean even even just with like making guilds and games or anything, mm-hmm. like trying to build a community, um yeah people are so fucking competitive nowadays. Like we live in a I remember
1: po- we live in a post twenty fourteen
0: world. What was significant about twenty fourteen to you?
1: Um twenty fourteen was kind of when this whole thing shifted. Uh, in terms of like how people kind of interact with each other on the internet. I mean, before 2014, you could have, uh, conservatives and liberals in the same community, you know, having civil discussions with each other. You didn't have, basically have to have a quarantine channel on your fucking discord server because people can't <laughs> behave themselves. Yeah. Um, but now you do. And, um, it's funny cuz Gamergate recently came up in the news, but that was kind of the genesis of it, really was uh Gamergate. I don't know if you're familiar with the history of that, but
0: uh, Yeah, I I think it's kind of comical that's being brought up again.
1: Yeah, no, it, the issue's dead and buried and the people who yeah. haven't gotten over it are bringing it back up again because obviously what's going on right now is the product of Gamergate. Uh-huh. Um but that's kind of when the, when the discourse shifted. And I think there's a lot of people who would agree that like 2014 was when s- some social media just started becoming unusable. All right. I mean, that's when I stopped using Reddit because it went from kind of the meritocracy to, uh, to kind of a, ne- a nepotocracy. Where um, appealing to the hive mind was better than being an individual
0: no i mean was there a specific event though or something that happened in 2014 um what i'm asking yeah no something I mean, that triggered it, that
1: it was gamergate oh oh I see yeah no it was the moment that people were be people or well people weren't being banned from 4chan but they were being like su- their threads were being suppressed on 4chan and uh, what's significant about that is shit would go down before for 2014 right and mm. it would be banned from this forum or that social media. And the place the discussion would go is 4chan because 4 chans the place where stuff doesn't, where discussions don't get banned. So yeah. for that to happen, there was an indication that there was some deep seated corruption that was going on on the internet. And that was cut from 2010 from occupy when this stuff, when the, this sort of idea became normalized to 2014. The, these kinds of people, these authoritarians, uh, started to really infiltrate communities. And by the way, I don't just mean like authoritarian right or left, I mean just authoritarian in general. Anybody who gets their yeah. kicks off of telling other people what to do, yeah. um, they were infiltrating communities and taking up moderation positions, and um, so it got banned from Fortune and I think that was the turning point was um if we can't have a civil discussion about what's what, the the facts of what happened in that situation without some moderator getting pissed off and banning everybody, then that's the civic breakdown. And I think that's when people stopped acting in good faith.
0: All right. Yeah, um that's that's a big goal with this podcast is just being able to speak freely and not have to worry about, you know, being targeted or censored in Mm -hmm. any way. Um, I suppose that's probably why I I don't even touch social media. I'd rather only have people listening that would be interested in the topics that I'm covering. So interested and
1: open-minded. Yeah, that was the old internet way. Um, I participated in the, like I said before the show, the kind of atheist communities on YouTube back in like 2011, 2012. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was all about free speech and about about being open-minded. And that's, that's why my Discord servers run the way it is. You know, I don't have a hardline rule that says this can't be posted here and all that because I still believe in the idea of a free speech space where you know the the merits of an idea are what's important and not a person's status or how many times they can yell slurs in a chat to get attention
0: (laughs) which is a very common thing
1: (laughs) yeah because i think what what happens is what happened in my server in particular was uh just one of these circles of people who like to fuck with people kind of found my server and was like, hey, here's a server where there's no rule against yelling slurs in chat. Uh, Let's join and start spamming shitty Microsoft Paint images. And it's like, the rules were like that because I wanted to be open to kind of all people. And so, you know, you come along and fuck with it. And, you know, trolls will be trolls, but I think it was never overtly political until recently
0: all right um i haven't actually engaged in your uh, discord server i just used it to contact you so yeah i don't blame you uh yeah i don't really like any discord servers (laughs) that i've joined
1: i don't either i only participate in my discord server because it's mine and uh, people have questions and youtube comments are notoriously a shitty forum uh yeah to engage with your fan base, um, which is really what's important to me, you know, if I can sit down for an hour and answer people's questions or talk to people about stuff, you know, um, that's kind of a big pickup
0: for me. Yeah. No, I was actually definitely glad that you did that because uh, you know this podcast wouldn't have happened if you didn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, I really it, appreciate that you. It could have. The there, there was a
1: Twitter account.
0: Uh, see, I don't use Twitter, though.
1: Oh, <laughs> You should. You'd have an easier time reaching out to people. There's a lot of content creators who kind of use it just as, like, a, here's the platform where I engage with other content creators. Yeah. I
0: don't know. I, yeah, I'm kind of mixed up on it, though, because one of my big things is I really don't like... Uh, talking to people over the internet cause mm-hmm. I'd rather you know sit down in front of you and mm-hmm. you know so I could see the expressions on your face and have a more personal uh, connection yeah I feel um, that so that, that's really what I'm aiming for but there's definitely exceptions where I'll just want to make the interview happen regardless um <laughs> yeah so uh yeah, where can we go from here you mentioned libertarianism earlier. Uh, do you do you follow or understand many libertarian beliefs?
1: Um, do I understand it? Probably not, but I do like. I try to get a wide spectrum of people that I listen to, and I find that like when you lis- when you listen to libertarian content creators, they tend to be the most open-minded and compatible with like a free speech philosophy. Because it's literally baked into their coda, because they're they're on the anarchist side of the political spectrum, but um, it's it. My Discord server is run in a libertarian fashion, and once upon a time, the internet was run in a libertarian fashion. That was kind of that was the idea behind Reddit. Was you know if the moderation of r slash gaming sucks dick you can go and form r slash games and you know instead of it being a thousand pictures of people unearthing their ps1s and nintendo 64s it could be actual discussions of games Mm -hmm. that that's a reference to events that actually happened in the uh ancient history of reddit um and so that kind of idea has always appealed to me i've never been a fan of the top-down authoritarian moderation and really, what I think is, you have to have a political system that's flexible. It's authoritarian when it needs to be, but uh, kind of on the anarchist side when there are good times.
0: All right. Yeah, I think people really uh, they have a misconception about anarchism and mm. what it's actually supposed to mean. Because you know, people think of that, and then they just think of chaos or whatever they want to associate with, but. Um, there definitely is some sort of value to it, especially in systems like you're talking about, like your Discord server. Um, you know, that's really where the truth comes out in a lot of places, I think. But. It's the most free system because there's the least rules and
1: regulations involved. Yeah, definitely. And freedom is a really important part of the truth. I mean, that's like the basis of the Enlightenment. Um, which it's funny you find, hearing all the people who are anti, kind of anti enlightenment ideals, um, because it's like, well, how the fuck are you talking about this? You're on a service that exists because of freedom of speech, all right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, if you lived if you lived in an authoritarian hellhole, you wouldn't have even been allowed to say this. You would have had to ass kiss your way up through the through the local party to eventually get a position where you could write and even then you'd have strict guidelines on what you can write about you know that's not ideal but there are situations where authoritarianism and i'm not talking like extreme authoritarianism i'm just talking like hey we're the government and we're gonna step into the situation to try and improve things where that's important example given space exploration I mean, we can point at SpaceX and say, oh, the genuine enthusiasm of a private citizen has enabled this. But you have to remember, SpaceX is riding off the back of like 50 years of space exploration that was funded by the government.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Like when, peop- when normal citizens were trying to kind of do space exploration, you were getting a situation where halfway up, the, the suit would depressurize and then they'd die instantly. Hmm. Be- and, you know, shit like that happened with the government, but it was a lot less common because they had the money and they had the, kind of the oversight to, you know, they sit down and spend years with some of the most brilliant people on the planet figuring out, all right, is this suit going to rupture halfway up? So I think that's, kind of the benefit of authoritarianism and um properly handling the response to a economic situation or war or uh or you know a global pandemic um is kind of important too All right. like i don't support the lockdowns i think they're stupid i think really it should be handled on a state-by-state basis but this ain't a politics yeah, show I-
0: yeah, no, so I, I think I it should be handled that. on Oh, it's fine, man. Yeah. I think um with most people you kind of inevitably get there at some point. I but. think
1: if a, if a business wants to ask people to wear masks, that's fine. But if the state yeah. wants it if the state wants to do a top-level mandate of everybody wear masks or or we'll fine you and we'll use our high-tech CCTV system to to track your face and all that. That that's where you get that's where you lose me.
0: Yeah, uh, it's some minority report shit, dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's happening all over the world. It's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, when I was <laughs> hearing about that shit going on in Australia, and then I looked at their numbers, and I was like, "You guys are barely even having the pandemic, like, and you right. stooped to utter authoritarianism, you know, just like a snap of the fingers."
0: Um, do you have any idea, or? Thoughts on why that's happening and why it's a, a worldwide phenomena and not just localized I mean it seems like everybody's kind of like grabbing the same idea and just running with it.
1: um it's not really my place to speculate uh, okay. that's all I'll really say on it because you know <laughs> yeah. it as somebody pointed as somebody's pointed out, I'm not a doctor. And that's where it ended. You know, right. they, did, they didn't continue to say, to say their beliefs. I can talk about video games because, you know, I'm basically a pseudo-intellectual when it comes to them. Or I can talk about the stuff I do in, you know, my actual job. That's where I'm qualified to talk about. Neither of those mm. things have to do with the global pandemic or the government.
0: So <laughs> That's a great, great answer, sir. <laughs> um so the transition from uh, Morrowind to Oblivion did you play Oblivion like when it first came out or
1: not when it first came out I would say the first time I played Oblivion was around 2009 the first time I played Morrowind was like 2007 I was I was a poor kid coming up I didn't have access to kind of the necessary hardware or any consoles to uh, to really experience this kind of stuff. So, like, I, we didn't have a computer that could run Oblivion. We owned it, but you had to turn all the settings down, and it was still in slideshow mode. So the first time I actually got to play Oblivion was on the Xbox 360.
0: Okay. Um, the reason I segued back into it is because one of the things that really disappointed me about Oblivion was... I came from playing Morrowind. And I've literally probably put thousands of hours into it at this point. I've played mm-hmm. it on the on the Xbox, on the PC, with, with or without mods, you know, all sorts of different ways. And uh, what I found going into Oblivion, um, I think they really simplified uh, a major theme that was present in Morrowind, and that was even though it didn't really make too much of a difference, there was at least like a feeling that there were different governments in different areas, you know? So like if you go to one place, the slave mm-hmm. trade's legal. If you go to another place, it's not. And it gives you the illusion that, uh, you're traveling across some sort of complex world, even though. Yes, you know, it's absolutely.
1: All Bethesda, Tends to go back and forth with this because it came back with Skyrim with the holds and how they have different bounties and you can even like change the leadership of the holds in Skyrim. So it's one of those things where I'm not going to criticize them too hard because the counties in in oblivion suck, but then it's not really the same thing in Fallout 4 so like in fallout 4 there's fact there's four factions but you can't really tell where the lines are drawn outside of a few outside of their designated headquarters basically so Mm -hmm. they go back and forth on are we doing this are we not doing this and i do absolutely agree i think that it was probably part of the design document to have the counties feel like different places and um uh, and, and there, it's always been speculated that you were supposed to come to become the Count of Kvatch. Um The problem is that they didn't have the time, and this is one thing that I'm really going to be researching and uh, kind of going to be the thesis of my video. Is they heavily constrained themselves with the 2006 release date, and there's a reason they aimed for that release date, but. The impact it had on the game is what changed Bethesda forever.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Out of Bethesda games, um, uh, do you have a, a favorite that you'd pick? I mean, Morrowind. You think so? Okay. Yeah,
1: uh, Yeah, I like a lot of them. I like a lot of them more than I imply with the way I talk because it's hard to spend as much time as I've spent with them and go but I still hate them um cuz it's <laughs> it's like as your mom as your mom points out when you give her shit about her cooking and it's like well if it's so bad why do you keep eating it so it's more so like just missing potential
0: yeah no, I, I could agree with that I mean I loved Oblivion and Skyrim, that mm-hmm. they did have their shortfalls. Like, I think the biggest thing, oh, well, beside the overall feel of Oblivion, was when I realized that I had actually done everything. Yeah. I'm like, wow, there's no more quests, there's no more anything. And like, I look online, I'm like, holy shit, well, it's just done. Like, every time I picked up and I felt like I'd find something new just in some little nook and cranny, you know? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I finally exhausted Morrowind of everything. I think I finally managed to do it all. Um, It took me seven hours and 53 minutes to do it. But um, with Oblivion, I definitely understand that feeling. And I think part of it is there's a concrete fighter versus thieves guild storyline in Morrowind, as I detailed. And there's the the house wars between Halau and Rodora and Telvanni, And um, with Oblivion, if you've noticed, every time there's a faction conflict, it's the good guys versus the bad guys. And it's an invented faction, like Fighter's Guild versus Blackwood Company, Mage's Guild versus Necromancer Cult, um, Thieves Guild versus the City Guard. Uh with Morrowind, it was important that you be able to join the other side, but with Oblivion, it wasn't. And I feel yeah. that's kind of what makes the world small, is you realize there's a lot of factions in Oblivion that you can't join and you can't barely even interact with.
0: Um, have you played MMOs very much?
1: Um, yes, I've played a decent... Ch- like. I have a complicated relationship with World of Warcraft... Um, which is probably the least surprising thing that you could say about someone like me. But um, I've also played Guild Wars 1 and 2. Um, I played more too, but I liked one more. Um, okay. I guess World of Warcraft's really the big one. Um, I started kind of early the Burning Crusade, and this was when I was real young. Um, and I played through till kind of wrath of the Lich King. And that's when that's when it kind of lost me. Um, with the, with the dungeon finder and all that, but other reasons um, as well, I kind of realized that, you know, this is, this is a time sink. It's not really, uh, fulfilling anymore. Cause that's yeah. wrath. Wrath was really grindy. I mean, burning crusade was really grindy, but I never played the grindy part of burning crusade. Because you didn't really have to. Um, So I left before Cataclysm came out, and then I kind of like popped my head in every now and then with a group of friends to try and see what was going on with the game, but it wouldn't last more than two weeks. Um, Yeah, I
0: think I used to play a lot of MMOs, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just a time sink for me. But I I was really glad that you mentioned the uh, Dungeon Finder Um, because I feel like that's what really made Warcraft start to go downhill for me was you you don't have to go out and like try and find people. You just Yeah put yourself in the LFG and that's it. Well
1: and it's kind of a conceit of like, hey, um let's automate this part of the game because it's become so mechanic. doing dungeons has become so mechanical and so grindy that it's not even worth just sitting in Dalaran and uh posting in chat, hey, looking for group to do this dungeon now we need an automated system of matchmaking
0: all right um see i wanted to ask about mmos because there's a few coming out um i can't think of the names off the top of my head but they're they're truly they're trying to make systems where people can uh build towns and like establish you know different positions in the towns and trade with each other and stuff um
1: i've always thought that was the way to go um yeah i mean
0: ultima did it before mm -hmm. but i think a long time ago
1: i think the real system is like you're not the chosen one you're not the hero you're just a guy and if you're a blacksmith then you should be able to make a make a quest there should be a system like a billboard system where you just go hey i need iron ore I'm going to put a note on the board that says I'll give, you know, a hundred copper to whoever can bring me 10 slabs of iron ore. And then, you know, another player can come up to the billboard and see that quest and pick it up and bring you the iron. I feel like that should be the basis of, of an MMO. And I think that would be interesting. And I think it's interesting that those ideas are finally being explored. Yeah. Well, in more
0: detail. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate it now, but I'm kind of kind of sucks that it happened so late. Because now I'm like in my 30s, yeah. Now you full time got a family. Now I can't you now you don't the have the
1: free time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, fuckers.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, I am glad it's happening though. I I hope more of that happens in the future for sure. Because people need to. Oh, People don't need to do anything, but I'd I'd like to see more community building rather than you know the stuff you're talking about, where people are just trashing each other all the time. Mm-hmm. That that comes from highly competitive environments, you know. And
1: i I like al-
0: to
1: I've always kind of embraced ahead. the uh, the trash talk environment. I think that there's I think it's ill will that's the problem. Like shit talking is fine it's yeah. when it's it's when you when you hate somebody that it's a problem
0: all right yeah i've played a a lot of counter strike <laughs> have, have yeah. you played much
1: i've not played a lot of counter strike <laughs> i did play a lot of siege though i played rainbow 6 siege in 2016 which was a uh, interesting presidential year and yeah. uh so it, it was just That was the fun time of the game because you would join a game and you would run into Donald Trump and uh, you would see in the kill feed like Donald Trump shot Hillary Clinton or vice versa or, you know, something metaphysical like, uh, you know, Pepe the Frog killed killed Gondola or something. And, uh, you know, there was just like a lot of interesting trash talking um, that didn't feel... Malicious or exclusive, right? And now, th- now the game's just robotic. Like, oh, I gotta go in. I gotta pick thermite so we can get through a reinforced wall. And I think that's just boring.
0: Yeah. Like, and um, uh, go ahead. No, no, no. I I didn't have really anything to say. Uh, uh, I was curious if you had any uh influences either from other YouTubers or. Books or podcasts or anything
1: yes absolutely um like i said i tend to be inspired to create based on what i enjoy so as a youtuber i kind of watch uh, a lot of youtube and you can kind of see the influences of the people i watch sometimes and how i talk like if you're a linguist you're probably screaming because <laughs> you can tell like it's it's scratching your mind because you probably watch the same people I do and you're like he's talking like somebody I know but I don't know who like yeah I was was
0: thinking about that earlier and uh, I was trying to pinpoint it but I almost want to say like he could run a a science YouTube channel or something and explain physics like
1: (laughs) I noticed this when I watched a Plague of Gripes video and I realized that I've started talking like Plague of Gripes he has a very Mm. unique way that he presents ideas and when i realized that i was doing i was presenting my arguments the same way he was i was like holy shit and that's when i really started to notice that like if i watch a white light video i start to talk like white light if i watch a Snakerer video i talk like him if i watch accursed farms i talk like him if i watch civy 11 there's suddenly a lot more energy um and that's kind of a familial thing like everybody in my family is just kind of a, a vocal chameleon uh Recently, somebody compared me to Paul Harrell. I don't know if you know who that is. He's a gun YouTuber. Um, and that's just because we come from the same part of the country.
0: Okay. Um, I don't know that last YouTuber, but everybody mm-hmm. else you listed, I'm actually subscribed to. So mm-hmm. That's interesting. Plague of Gripes. That's, I could see that now. Um, dude, he made one of my favorite cartoons. Didn't he do the Dark Souls? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, he did, that was just brilliant.
1: <laughs> it was Dark Souls. He he had like a, a lore primer. And then he had yeah. like a, a joke video, which was like chalkboard. And um I have been meaning for the longest time to use some Plague of Gripe stuff in my videos. Like there's this one quote where the dragons like um just you just uh fill in the blanks with your imagination, and one of the other dragons goes, uh, there's a lot of blanks. And yeah. uh <laughs> I have been meaning to use that for the longest time because it is fucking prescient about some games.
0: Yeah. Um one of my longer term goals, I'd actually like to uh do a podcast with Ross Scott as well. That would be a really good podcast. He's probably
1: pretty hard to swing though because he's Yeah, definitely. Busy That's why I say long-term time. goal. If you've seen his uh his the videos where he talks with his fans—that that guy yeah. works all the time.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: He is. An I, I watch
0: all those videos.
1: He is an inspiration, to be sure, because he's not just doing the game review thing. You know, he's doing his own fictional, creative stuff with Freeman's mind. So yeah, in
0: um, the movie,
1: <laughs> in the, the Amorphous movie, uh, which I'm excited to see it. I'm kind of interested in what ross scott could cook up in terms of a movie
0: oh yeah i'm sure it'd be brilliant um do you watch uh Neebs gaming at all have you heard of that i have not heard of that i'll okay. how do you spell it n e e b s then gaming i will uh i'll look into so that, it so they're kind of they like used a, to go ahead um, they used to do Machinima, and they were kind of in the same boat as Ross uh, mm-hmm. when that all went to shit. But they had a uh, a cartoon called Battlefield Friends, and that was very popular. And
1: I always saw that. I never it,
0: did it, but I always saw
1: that get recommended. So um,
0: I'll recommend that you watch uh, Doralius and Associates. And I think that might be on that channel, but it might be on Hank and Jed. Not sure. Mm -hmm. but um yeah i'll I'll send you a link to it later
1: no in terms of like really big youtubers that have nothing to do with what i watch i watch a lot of uh this guy called air force proud 95 he's like a flight sim youtuber and um aviation's just kind of interesting by itself and then you introduce like people being you know shit posters with their planes and stuff and Mm. uh Besides the fact that he's just a really entertaining guy. Um, So he's had a lot of success as a YouTuber. And he has nothing to do with what I do. But... uh, Yeah, that would be my recommendation for big YouTubers.
0: Okay. But uh, Yeah, I'm not... I I guess Neebs is pretty big now, huh? He's got like 2 million or some shit. Mm -hmm. That's crazy.
1: Well, you just... You keep the quality going and you roll... uh, You know, you keep putting videos out like i can tell he's a now like a daily channel Um, yeah you just keep that ball rolling and you get big eventually
0: yeah so you're definitely in the internet culture um do you watch like internet historian or anything like that
1: uh yes i've watched some of his videos not all of them i know i saw his fallout 76 video and uh it was really good
0: well, he's got, like, great videos on... Uh, mm-hmm. There's a series about the Shia LaBeouf thing when 4chan was finding all of his flags and stuff. But, yeah, the, the internet's really amazing to me when they pull off shit like that, dude.
1: Yes, there's... Um, have you Do you know what open-source intelligence is? It's kind of the idea of, like, a civilian intelligence agency where... You know, you just have normal people, but they're participating, kind of in an intelligence agency aspect. Because, like, an international community would have, you know, boots on the ground in every country that are familiar with the local dialect. They're almost
0: undetectable right. to their to their but, local government. Is that like an actual community? Or? So
1: it's not an actual thing. It's more. It's like a reference to kind of just the concept so like okay. if i got into if i made a discord channel that was like local events and it was people posting their local events that would be an osi okay because then i would be getting intelligence from around the world Right. which but- it's itself is interesting to me uh most of my audience are americans but I, f- I find it fascinating that there are people who speak english as a second language who are you know willing to sit down and listen to me talk for hours Right. Yeah, uh, I've got
0: a couple people from different countries, uh, specifically Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, Scotland, and a few people in Canada too. But
1: my, my it is bi-
0: it is strange to think about.
1: My big ones are like France and Scandinavian countries like Norway and Sweden. Interesting. Uh, I understand France actually because I do talk a lot about uh french video games like fury okay. so um i've kind of ingratiated myself and i'm kind of a francophile to be honest mm.
0: what's that a francophile you said
1: uh that is kind of like weeaboo but for france
0: oh <laughs> That's a good way to put it.
1: <laughs> so like I've I've studied a bit of the French language and I'm like familiar Be- and it's because a lot of electronic music comes from France. So
0: Oh okay. Is that what type of music you're into or do you have mm-hmm. any music preferences?
1: Yes. If you watch part two of my Fury series, uh people have been commenting on my fifteen minute uh tangent on the history of electronic music.
0: Okay. Um I mean, it's funny to me when I was younger um when i was doing all the bands and concert stuff i kept telling my buddy i was like i was obsessed with the Aphex twin and his early mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. and i said man techno music whatever this is whatever electronic stuff this is gonna be the future and he's just like nah i don't think so <laughs> i think it was a matter of like four or five years later um uh, the whole EDM and rave thing was just exploding worldwide for some reason. All it
1: took was to become accessible to common people. And that's when the glut started. Hmm. Because, because before you had to be a musician and you had to have money to do electronic music. Right. Because synthesizers were expensive and, uh, you needed a studio environment to work in, whereas like you know, with a garage band, you just need instruments and players.
0: Yeah. So. Um. Do you mess with analog synths at all?
1: Uh, I do not. No, I, I've always, when I messed with music, done like digital stuff, just because that's what's accessible to a music plebeian like me. Oh, okay.
0: But I do, well, have, do you have any desire to do that in the future?
1: Um. Maybe. Do you know who John Graham is?
0: That sounds very familiar, but I couldn't say confidently.
1: Uh, RB and the Chief. I do not believe okay. so. Don't so agree. he's a longtime internet content creator. He kind of started in the machinima wave. And I find it really interesting because he had so many issues with copyright. Even if he bought like the the license to use a song, he would have issues with copyright anyways. That he start that he got into music production and started scoring his own videos with his own music, to okay. to kind of solve that problem. And I find that such a fascinating idea, and it's something that I might do at some point. Is like
0: try yeah to, that, try to. That's why I was asking
1: because I'm kind of familiar with drumming. I can look at my drum kit right now. It looks sad because it it's shrunk because it has to make way for the VR space if I record VR stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, I like drumming. I have a electric... Uh, sorry, electronic drum set. And I have some interesting ideas for what you could do with that. Alright. Yeah, those,
0: uh... Go ahead.
1: No, no, it's fine.
0: Um... So I've actually been working on this podcast for about five years, and it was just within this year that I decided to even put it online. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was exploring a bunch of different concepts on how I could create more of a an audio experience out of long-form conversation. Like, you know, what could I add to it rather than just having two people talking? Rather and, than just recording? yeah. Um, one of my ideas that I brushed on but it was it was hard to conceptualize um, I had three different conversations on the beach in different places, different beaches mm-hmm. and uh, so I would transition with the sounds of the waves from each beach and it would get lo- like one conversation would get louder and the other would get quieter and I'd Move through each conversation as if it's like transforming, but I so tried like, to sync it up in a way where we're talking about similar subjects so it still has a flow, but each time it's with like different people. So, that makes
1: the, sense. so it's like there's a nar- narrative, uh, thorough line through each conversation. Yeah. That yeah. sounds like a really interesting idea, and I think that uh, some people would appreciate it. I think what a lot of podcasters miss is that ambiance is kind of important for a long-term listener. And, uh, I can kind of give you some insight into how to craft something for long-term listening, considering that's how people are using my, uh, video. Um, the big thing that people listen for is like basic audio quality. And, um, so that's clean audio where you try to minimize the amount of noise. Like I'm, not at all in the uh in my usual condition for recording audio. I've got my main computer on. Its fans are running. Uh, a lot of background noise. Uh I don't have any kind of soundproofing or anything going on, so it's not going to sound yeah. that great. But Same here. When I try to make something that I intend for people to listen to, I put a lot more effort. I use a laptop to record, which makes a lot less noise than the PC. I uh, flip my mattress up so it starts working like a, like soundproofing, and uh, I use some effects in Audition to try and just minimize as much noise as possible. And then um, I don't know how much you mess with like filters and stuff with your audio, but you can use like parametric equalizers and normalizers to kind of make up for the shortfalls of microphones, because you know. I'm using a $150 microphone. It's a decent mic, but even like a $2,000 microphone isn't perfect at capturing the human voice. It has its elements. Um, A microphone that that everybody has seen, but they don't know the name of it, the Shure M7B. It's what Joe Rogan uses on his show. Very popular microphone. Um, Very kind of bassy to it. Uh, Even that microphone you have to uh, to modify the sound to make it sound more like what your ears would hear if you were in the same room as the person. So that's kind of important. You have to account for the shortcomings of the microphone that you're recording on. And then I think like what you said, ambiance is important. I used Morrowind music in my video uh, as, as background. I, I think it was probably too quiet, honestly, but um, the main thing is like, the energy of the music has to match what you're talking about so if you want if you want to have like a chill conversation then yeah a beach uh ambience would be perfect but if you're starting to get into a point where it's like man let's talk about some fucking problems then that's when the that's when like the music has to pick up and start having energy to it yeah so that's kind of my philosophy when it comes to uh creating an audio experience
0: yeah i like that um Dude, to me, I feel like you could just throw the Morrowind soundtrack over anything, though, and I'd love it.
1: (laughs) It is a very good soundtrack. Very... (laughs) I kind of touched on it when I analyzed the soundtrack, but the main thing is the way it uses percussion to control uh, the flow of the music. Because if you notice a lot of the explore exploration tracks don't have any kind of percussion or anything. So there's nothing in the mm. background that's dictating the tempo of the song, but what is in the game that dictates tempo is the sound of the player's footsteps as they go through an environment. Right. And that dictates the tempo of the song and it actually modulates it based on how fast the player is going. Though, well, the game doesn't, the game just plays an MP3 file. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wouldn't be until like Skyrim that they figured out how to use how, how to uh, cut songs into pieces and kind of play an appropriate song for what's going on, which I've always thought was an interesting idea.
0: Have you played a uh, Dungeon Siege?
1: Um, I gotta make sure that's the one where it's isometric. Yeah. Okay, there's a different dungeon game that I was thinking of. I've not played Dungeon Siege, but I am familiar with it. I know it was scored by Jeremy Soule as well.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, soundtrack's really good on that, but they don't do the... uh, The music doesn't change based on where you are, which is kind of weird. I think
1: Ross Scott said that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he made a video about that. Dude, that's a really, really good game, and I'm surprised that that concept hasn't been used more. Because, like, if you look for games like that, that's really the only one that I can think of. So,
1: Hyper Run is a game, and um, if you pay, like, a dollar, you get their gold thing, and you see... It's just this small indie game that I have for some reason, right? Um, you can get a, like a prototype version of the game, but you can also get access to kind of the software they use for the music, because the music is very dynamic and hyper run. It's based on what you're doing. So, like, if you hit a wall while you're driving, then the music has to slow down, and the tempo of the music is based on how fast you're going. So, I've always found I'm forgetting what the name of the main software that games now use to kind of do that, but you see it in um, Like modern Dooms music where the layers and stuff are added as the action progresses and that dictates where the song is going. So rather than the old philosophy of let's just record a song and let's play it and let's hope that it matches the uh, aesthetics of what's going on in the scene. Now they have like uh, code level control of what parts of songs play at what points hmm hyper run huh mm-hmm. it's spelled like hype run everything i recommend is not spelled the way you think it is like i recommended <laughs> the software plotter and nobody could find it because they couldn't think that the software for some reason drops the e in the name and uh so it's impossible to look up unless you do that
0: yeah no i just looked up hyper run and hype run two completely different games
1: Yep. Is there an actual hyper run game now?
0: Yeah, there is. That's funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> funny, but not surprising. I've noticed that about yeah, mobile right. games is that like you have to be exact with the title, or you're going to find a, ver- a similar game that isn't the same.
0: Yeah. Man, have you uh, played Ghost of Tsushima yet?
1: I've not. It's in my backlog um a few years ago i decided i would stop playing modern games the year they come out I, ma- yeah. I do make exceptions to that rule like 2020 was the year i played the one punch man video game um which i would not recommend to even fans of one punch man <laughs> um so i typically don't play games the years they that they come
0: out okay yeah i have that mentality of uh i will literally wait until it's 20 dollars if it's a 60 dollar game so, like, I think when I played the last Doom game, I bought it for $10 and yeah. really enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel bad about that because I'm like, man, I kind of wish I'd paid more money for it so that it would be more successful. Right. <laughs> but Because um, I am kind of, like, a, a conscious consumer. Like, you know, nothing gets done for free creatively. Not really. Yeah. So, um, like with like, with Fury... You know, I only paid $15 for that game but I think that game is worth a lot more than that but the reason it's priced that way is because it's got to be access- at an accessible price point
0: yeah um, Yeah, I'm not sure if I brought it up or if that was the topic but uh, Ghost of Tsushima I bought that for I think it was $50 but mm-hmm. I just heard so many good things about it and I had uh, some open time so I thought I'd pick it up and I was very, very surprised at how well thought out that game was, and I really think it could change the genre if people look at it as an example of like how you could uh, move throughout worlds. So, like one of the best features in it is that you don't really have like a compass or anything. So you mm-hmm. can press a button, and then there will be gusts of wind they'll kind of show you the general direction you should be going so they really try to strip down things on the screen that would be distracting so they can display you know how beautiful the game actually is
1: and kind Uh, of rely more on like uh player navigation than just follow the compass
0: yeah and i mean you you could do that i mean they do have a map on there but i don't think it will actually show markers on your screen which is fantastic but uh um, yeah that company did some really good stuff they made that entire uh multiplayer thing just all for free it's like because there's so many companies out there that'll attack on DLCs and all this shit mm. and game expansions or whatever but i mean they put on a full new game basically just for free.
1: Yeah, i saw that Red Dead Redemption 2 had released its multiplayer only for $5 and i'm like, yeah, i'm not making that mistake. <laughs> yeah. it, like it could be a fun game but i know full well how Rockstar monetizes their games now and yeah. uh i'm not interested in doing it again. I had so much hope for GTA Online because it's a game where you can make make your own GTA character. That sounds cool. Cool. But then you see that some guy has a fucking flying DeLorean with missiles on the front. And it's like, well, I don't know if I want to do this. And it's like a job simulator. So I'm like, Red Dead Redemption 2 could be like the greatest multiplayer experience ever. And I'm missing out on it because of what they did to GTA
0: Online. Um, yeah, I didn't even try the Red Dead Online because, uh, yeah, what you're saying, GTA was such a clusterfuck. <laughs> I'm just kind of giving up on that. Did you actually play Red Dead Redemption?
1: I played the f- uh, not the first one, but the actual first Red Dead Redemption, and yeah. uh, I played its online mode with my friends, and um, both things were very fun. And I would I would recommend
0: them heartily. Yeah. Um, I was not a fan of the second one.
1: I haven't gotten to play it yet. Like like I said, I'm kind of wary of Rockstar now. Yeah. So.
0: And with good reason.
1: <laughs> and, and, and with good reason. People complained at the lack of GTA games, but honestly, like, with where that company's gone,
0: that might be a good thing. Yeah. now it's just a money printer now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Huh. And were there any uh, other games you want to talk about?
1: Uh well, I kind of touched on Fury. Hang on, let me look at content, the at the games I've covered because that's really what I'd be able to tell you about. Um how much do you know about uh VR?
0: Um I have not tried it yet actually. The the last time I did VR was probably in like I want to say 1998 and uh it was at the Pacific or was it the science center Seattle um, Pacific Science Center and um uh, you could imagine what the graphics looked like
1: <laughs> I'm I I know I know it's not virtual boy but I'm imagining virtual boy no
0: not not that bad but I think like everything's just big fucking squares and mm. the color palettes are really shitty so <laughs> as far as they could push uh at vr, VR at it, was, it was probably insane at the time yeah
1: yeah because they barely had like uh they barely had 3d down
0: so yeah it was definitely right as that was like becoming a thing
1: <laughs> like what's interesting about vr is that it has to run at a high frame rate which means that by itself vr has to be performant mm. it can't it can't be these fucking games that run at 30 to 40 frames per second Yep. because you'll you will make people throw up if you try to put them through thirty frames a second in VR. Yeah, but uh, I covered BoneWorks, and I think BoneWorks might be my favorite video that I've created because um, it's kind of a, a a smaller VR title that I think is really underrated. Hmm. Like everybody talks about Half Life Alex, and I think part half of that is the Half-Life fan base and half of that is just people who don't play VR but have heard about it uh kind of parroting it to sound like they're involved in the conversation because for some reason just saying I haven't tried VR isn't good enough for a lot of people. Right. Like I appreciate you saying that because holy fuck I wish more people would say it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i'm open to the concept i think right now for me it's just the money thing um especially Mm -hmm. well i think ross scott really puts this out there well when he talks about vr i mean he really has like this it has to be at a certain place for him to be able to enjoy it Mm -hmm. i think if i bought into it right now it might not be at that place for me but that's just what I think about. I just don't want to spend a, a grand and be disappointed, you know. <laughs> oh,
1: I don't blame anybody for not wanting to. Um, but that's what makes it difficult. Is it's kind of hard to explain VR to people who've not tried it. I think that the technology kind of has to go on tour, and uh, yeah, definitely, definitely get headsets on more people's heads, and uh, don't give them Half Life, Alex. Give them Bone Works. Give them something that's an actual game. Not that Half-Life yeah. Alyx isn't a game, because I, I did play it, and um, I'm not impressed, but it is a game.
0: I'll say that um, much. Like, to me, I haven't watched full playthroughs of Half-Life Alyx, but I feel like I've watched enough to... I almost want to say it's like a fan service type thing.
1: It is, because and, it's a modern
0: Valve game. Yeah. So I I could see your
1: comparison. I, I gotta be works, I gotta be and... careful because the Valve fans could be listening, and I could I could <coughs> uh, get some pissed off people coming at me. <laughs> yeah, right. like like with the Bioshock video.
0: Oh yeah, were you a fan of Bioshock?
1: Uh, not particularly a fan of Bioshock. Okay, but, so. I
0: actually have not played that for. Some I gave reason.
1: it a, I gave it a fair shake, but nobody believes me when I say that. especially especially if they're a fan of what i'm criticizing like i think bioshock has some good ideas but it wasn't their ideas it was system shock 2s yeah which which is transparent they've admitted that that was their inspiration yeah i think it's just overrated really for sure
0: um have you seen or played a prey the 2017 one Yes.
1: Yes, I have, and it's been requested of me quite a bit, and I I understand why people want to see it. And I think that's, at some point I will be covering it. It
0: is an interesting game. I just played that like two weeks ago, and I had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I almost feel like I kind of rushed it too much because uh, I was on a short break and I was trying to finish it before the weekend ended. Got to get uh, a,
1: a got a, the list of stuff you got to get done. That was kind of what yeah. happened with cyberpunk for me. Yeah. Although that there were different reasons why I had
0: to rush that. Alright. Huh. Oh, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you. What the fuck was it? Um, I guess we could throw this out there. So, if you had a message, like, that you could just put out to the world and let's say everybody would see it. So, like, I don't know. I, I like the tim ferris example like if you could rent a billboard and it just had a phrase on it or something Mm -hmm. um is there anything in particular that you'd want to get out there to people
1: man i'd have to think of i would have to think long and hard about that if you gave me that opportunity yeah um my big things are like honesty and humility more than anything and um so if there's some way that you can i could just phrase out there hey be a little more honest and a little more humble about where you are in life. Um that would be kind of the message I would go for at least. Like I don't yeah, have I don't message. have a catchphrase about that because <laughs> I feel that honesty really is important. Like if you're just honest and people are empathetic then you know, they're going to understand it. And it's it can be uncomfortable to be honest sometimes. But it's worth it to me. Definitely. And then, I mean, humility basically just explains itself. There's a lot of people who do good things, but are too eager in sharing that they do good things. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sometimes I go out on the road on my bike, and that's a really good position where you see a turtle in the middle of the road, and you can get them. Um, But, you know, that's not something that I got to share with the world every time it happens. You know, it happens a couple times a year and uh people look at me weird because i'm walking in the middle of the road uh carrying a turtle but <laughs> you know it's just a good thing that you gotta but you gotta be humble about it yeah and, 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 and then you know people are gonna be like well it's funny that you're bragging about it
0: right <laughs> man uh i wanted to ask you so did you actually listen to this podcast
1: Yes, I listened to your episode with the guy uh, talking about addiction. I didn't get to finish it because my new position, uh, I have to kind of on and off with the headphones. So Okay. So I got like half an hour through it. Oh, nice. But okay. I was enjoying listening to it, and uh, within like five minutes, I kind of realized, like, hey, this would probably be a fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, because. As a content creator, you kind of you kind of have to think about like, man, what would it be like if I did get on this or that podcast? Um, A lot of people leave comments like, hey, you should try to get on EFAP. I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but they're uh, they're a long form media analysis podcast. You know, so uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mahler, but he does that kind of work. And he gets people like that on his show. But the thing with EFAP is that it's, uh, there's a sectarian conflict in media analysis between objective and subjective uh, analysis. And they're on the objective side. And because there's a side, it turned political. And so uh, mm. even me mentioning it would, is going to turn off some people who are like fans of the people of the other side. And I don't like that. Right. so um, but yeah I kind of like mentally think like how cool would it be to be on a show and it is kind of cool because you get to talk about a lot of a lot of stuff and uh, it's like dynamic improv but it's also burying a part of yourself out there
0: yeah yeah I've uh, over a long period of time like I said been kind of a passion project for a while um i used to get nervous every time i'd turn the the microphone on and Mm -hmm. i still kind of do i'll get the jitters a little bit but it goes away after a couple of minutes um i actually now feel like it's kind of therapeutic for me to uh just speak with people and get different opinions and shit like especially people I don't know very well, getting to learn mm-hmm. about people. Because um, it's it's so refreshing being able to get outside of my own head and be able to... Yeah, you
1: where you, you talk to somebody and you realize that they have different priorities and interests. Like, you're not, yeah. a, b- you're not a, b- a big YouTube guy, but I pay a lot of attention to kind of behind-the-scenes YouTube stuff. And right. so you get kind of an insight into the stuff I'm interested in, and you get to share your insights and the stuff that you're interested in.
0: Yeah. Um, I actually do watch a lot of YouTube. I mean, I watched mm-hmm. your video. That's a lot of fucking YouTube there. Yeah, that's, that's
1: <laughs> just that video alone. Yeah, right. But, I mean, I, I keep up with, uh like, the YouTube drama, and I keep up with, you know, the people who talk about how the site works. And um, I know a lot about the platform.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely apparent. Um oh yeah i remembered uh do you watch video game donkey at all i used to um i don't know why i stopped i think i just
1: stopped getting recommended it
0: okay i know he
1: he said something about
0: cyberpunk that was controversial i know that oh probably he says a lot of shit that's controversial (laughs) (laughs) um i mean he used to make pretty good breakdowns of games but you know it's nothing like what you'd be doing it's you know maybe Mm -hmm. 10 minutes about something but it was very precise and calculated how he'd talk about this stuff um recently though he he made this video describing the you know it takes him so long to put something out there so maybe he'd do like two or three videos a month i heard about that yeah so then uh he's trying to look at how to make money off of youtube so he decided he's going to do daily content. He's
1: so big, he could hire an editor.
0: Yeah, right. Like, well, I just thought it was hilarious how he's doing it cuz he, you know, he went to like Minecraft Mondays and Among mm-hmm. Us Tuesdays <laughs> or something like, you know, it was just a joke. He only mm-hmm. did it for about a week or about a week or so. I but, think um, people
1: didn't respond well to him complaining.
0: What um, do you mean?
1: Like people didn't kind of respond well to the idea of like, oh, well, you're not happy with what you're getting. That's kind of uh, what, what I had heard about what was going on. Yeah. And, um, I think you just kind of have to recognize that there's like a lot of, uh, YouTubers are really hardworking people. Not, right. not a lot, like even like the shit bag ones, there's not a lot of them that just rest on their laurels all day and are able yeah. to make content. Unless they have an editor, in which case, yeah, they do. Um, right. <laughs> that is, that is something I kind of wanted to talk about. Is um, there it's kind of a split personality hobby because I have to wear two hats. I'm a writer and I'm an editor, and those those two hats are always at odds with each other.
0: Yeah, I could uh, I could I feel like I could say the same thing. Um, because with a lot of these podcasts before I'll even put them out there, like I'll probably listen to this two or three times before I mm-hmm. put it online. And I just want to make sure that I don't put you in a position where, you know, you said something that might be questionable or whatever. And I don't want to put myself in that position. So it it's almost like the first time I'll listen to it, I'll just make sure there's no loud pops or buzzing or something. Just do like the basic editing. And then mm-hmm. the second time I listen to it, I'm very critical make sure there wasn't some sort of slip or whatever like let's say you said the real name of a friend or something which right. i i wouldn't want to put out there because people dox and shit now it's just fucking crazy but uh yeah then the third one i'm like I have to listen to it again and clear my mind of it. That's the hardest part. And I just have to say, okay, is this a good podcast? Is this something that people would want to listen to? And then by by time and at that point, you know, I've listened to it mm-hmm. two or three times.
1: So and... you have you have a a presenter personality and an editor personality. Right. And I bet your editor fucking hates you. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, um I my editor hates me too and uh but he's a good editor um i've gotten audio editing down to where i can just look at the waveform and audition and kind of tell what's going on and what needs to be cut right fairly accurately which is usually like breaths and stuff um i don't know why there's some controversy around youtubers who like cut the breaths out of their audio um to me, it's just—it's always been kind of distracting to hear people breathe or to hear the odd click or that this or that. But one thing that's interesting to me is that through working in audio, I've kind of realized when games start to have problems. Like I've played Hitman 2016 recently, and the cutscenes in that game have issues with sibilance.
0: Now, what's that word? I'm not even sure what that word is. Okay,
1: so sibilance, for people who don't know, is the sharp S sounds that form uh, when you say certain words. And when you treat audio, there's things you have to watch for. You watch for pops. Well, I'm using a pop filter, so not a lot of that gets through. But sibilance is one of those things where you just have to uh, use a filter when it happens on the sharp S sound. And it's interesting when you can see where an audio engineer was clearly involved, but they didn't handle the sibilance. And it's something that I did not notice the first time I played Hitman because I wasn't that big into audio engineering when I first played Hitman. Mm -hmm. So that's something where editing has kind of changed my perspective of things. The other thing is I've started to notice uh, like video editing stuff too. Um, So like... Mandalorian season 2 uses a lot of the original uh Star Wars uh transition slides like where it'll sw- the, there will be a line and it swipes across the screen between two frames. And um that's something I would never have noticed if I wasn't an, uh an editor. All right. <laughs> And i noticed started noticing stuff with YouTube too, and where I started to become confident with what I do was when I realized that I was looking at a channel with a hundred thousand subscribers and I could do their video better than they could yeah i was I was like, you know I wouldn't have had that there, or I would have fixed that problem pretty easily, and that's when I kind of realized I can be a competitor in this space, yeah, and that was um, cool.
0: I think I had a similar, like, aha moment, just like that. Because, um, yeah, I found that uh, when I was having conversations, say, with my brother about podcasts and how people handle them, uh, I was actually complaining at one point that, so, like, this guy is, like, a millionaire, Right and he's mm-hmm. got some some shitty microphone maybe he might even record like on a laptop you know like yeah. it's it's that low of quality sometimes and i was complaining about it i'm like you have all this money why don't you just do it and then like i don't know when it clicked but i was like well i can do it better than him like what the fuck am i complaining about i've got a leg up on this you know
1: yeah <laughs> that's kind of what i realized is i kind of keep my mouth shut when i see uh, other people make mistakes cuz it's like oh there's a competitive advantage of course it's all really just fun for me like i'm yeah. not i don't look at other channels and go i'm gonna slaughter them next year you right. know what i mean <laughs> because i'm not that egotistical Yeah. You know? at the end of the day we're all just entertainers sharing a space together trying uh-huh. to get people's time and attention and money yeah uh, go ahead uh, I was trying to think if there was anything else that uh, would be interesting to talk
0: about. Uh, we could end it if you want. doesn't really matter to me.
1: Oh, last thing. Writing structure. Because yes. it's super important. Yes, sir. Um, I structure my videos a lot different than other people. You see a lot of stream of consciousness in how people write. And maybe you might get like their structure follows the structure of the game. So I use a basic A B structure with how I write, and I think mm-hmm. that's been a big part of the success because some of the criticisms that I saw were like this guy just synop is just synopsis. I I skimmed through the video and it was just synopsis. Well, yeah, I'd use A B A B, which is A is plot synopsis and B is analysis. So I say this happened in this quest, and then so like I'll use the fighter's guild as an example. I do three quests and then I go, all right, let's talk about hit chance in Morrowind. And then I do a couple more quests and I go, all right, let's talk about, um, you know, let's talk about how it was different in Oblivion or let's talk about uh, how fighting skills work or that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's this interlayering of, let's do a little bit of plot. Now let's do a little bit of mechanics. And um, that is actually true for all of my videos. But I think it worked really well for the Morrowind video because there's this constant flow and it's intentional. I'm not just talking off the top of my head at the first thing that comes up in my mind, which lazy people have accused me of because, you know, they don't recognize that it it, it could be possible that somebody could talk about this for this long and have had gone through a redrafting process and an outline
0: Yeah, it could be misinterpreted that you you start to rattle on about something. But no, I, I definitely saw as very, very intentional. Um, the time that you were bringing up uh, certain aspects of like the mechanics in the game in relation mm-hmm. to those quests, for sure.
1: If you look at the original videos, you'll see that there's symmetry. So the first... Uh, actually, I'll pull up the hard numbers here. So part two was 42 minutes. Part three was an hour and eight minutes. Part four was an hour and 30 minutes, and then it starts to go back down again. Part five was an hour and 15 minutes. Part six was an hour and 15 minutes, and then part seven was uh, 50 minutes. So there was the symmetry, and there was this process where first I listed everything I wanted to talk about, and then I assigned those topics to sections. So I said, I'm going to talk about enchanting in the Telvani section. I'm going to talk about spellcrafting in the Major's Guild section. I'm going to talk about stealth skills in the Thieves' Guild section. And a lot of it follows and makes sense with where it's appropriate to talk about what mechanic. But it's spread out in such a way so that if I did it by a stream of consciousness, I would have talked about all the fighting topics in the Fighter's Guild section and had nothing to talk about when it came to House for Doran. All right. So that's kind of my philosophy with, with how it comes to writing is just that basic structure. And I structure is very important when you're making something long.
0: Yeah. Um, as a listener, I'd say that the way you set that up, it actually, it, it made me feel like I wanted to keep engaging because, uh, there were certain points where you're talking about, um, you know, some particular game mechanics, but it's like I I wanted you to, I was anticipating that you would talk about something and then you mm-hmm. didn't, but then it came up like an hour or two later. I'm like, oh, thank God he talked about it. Like, <laughs> Yeah,
1: so that was something that came up and it was very difficult because it's like the people who want me to talk about Morrowind as how it's exploitable will go fucking crazy that they have to wait six hours for it to happen. But if I brought it up every time it was appropriate, the video would be like 12 hours long. Yeah, right. (laughs) I think that's like Mahler's way of approaching a topic is if he has to explain how a plot device doesn't work every time it happens, then he will. And that's why his videos start to grow longer and longer because um, he's kind of explaining it all each time it happens. Hmm. He has a he has a much different way of how he structures his videos, and I think he's a good writer. I think the reason people don't like him is because he's a stream of consciousness kind of writer, where you have to sit down and pay attention to everything because there will be logical arguments that will be brought up ten minutes into the video that will be relevant at the fifty minute mark. All right, and uh, that's not true with how I structure things. Not not to be yeah, a criticism, I'm, just different different right, philosophies. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah um, go ahead.
1: No no no, I'm fine.
0: Um I'm really glad that somebody's taken the time to really break down what Marrowin means to them. Um Yeah, it's like a it's a very noble goal, I think. <laughs> And uh, I'm glad that you got rewarded how you did. Like, I didn't see that coming from a mile away.
1: Yeah, it's been very interesting. It it gives a little hope that the meritocracy still exists. Because if you're out there and you're grinding on YouTube or you're grinding somewhere and you're saying to yourself, I'm never going to make it. Just know, just know that I made it and um, you can make it too if you stick to quality. Because, you know, I was starting, I was starting to look, I'm two years into running this YouTube channel and I'm looking at it and I'm like, what can I do to kind of lower the quality and up the quantity? Because that's something mm. I was, that was, that was something that I started having to think about. Yeah. And, uh, I'm kind of glad that things took off when it did, because it means I don't have to lower the quality. Yeah. And that was a key part of how it worked was people came into the Morrowind video and, and might not have subscribed until they saw that there was an entire backlog of content available right and that there was some consistency to the quality and they realized i think too, people were kind of impressed that there was this level of quality for two years of almost no recognition
0: yeah i'm definitely impressed with that
1: um and there's kind of, there's a bit of a mental insanity to that, but
0: I don't know I guess well, I'm, I'm a little bit insane yeah. <laughs> well I think no, what do you mean by that
1: I think everybody kind of uh just has to work towards what they want in a sense but yeah. re- for the bulk of people who want to make it, there's kind of this realization of how much of myself do i have to sell to make it you know Mm. it's that first time that you have to post a link to your video somewhere where uh you don't want to because you're worried that it'll come off as spammy or it's that first time that you have to take a a shitty sponsorship deal because at least they're paying you money right Mm -hmm. so a lot of art is compromise and almost none of it works out the way that it has worked out for me and it wasn't perfect with how it worked out for me but i got a pretty good deal so and i recognize that and i think that's important to recognize is i'm the exception not the rule and if you're going to be doing this you have to recognize that a lot of times it doesn't work out yeah
0: definitely which is sad yeah i would agree um yeah i think uh i'm not sure exactly how i'd want to say it but i've gotten to the point with this podcast where it's not that i don't care about how people feel about it but i've recognized that it's its own thing and Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to let other people's opinions change that, like it's just going to grow and evolve how it does, and that's the I'm beauty committed to that's the beauty
1: of independent content creation right there is the freedom that comes with it, yeah, for sure. You're, you're not enslaved to any kind of producer and you're not enslaved to public sentiment. You can make whatever yeah. you want. I think yeah. that's beautiful, and I think it's great that we have systems now where people are able to financially support the content creators that they enjoy so rather than paying for a cable membership you know you're paying 30 bucks a month for a cable membership maybe you're paying uh three or five bucks a month to a bunch of different content creators that you like which I do yeah. I don't pay for cable
0: um are there any particular content creators that you're like subscribed to or uh
1: yes I uh I've always been a big monetarily big fan of, I mean yes I've always been a big fan of to uh I've been a patron of his for a while I'm not a big patron because uh i still gotta pay rent but i've always had the philosophy of like if a lot of people chip in one dollar a month that goes a long way and so you know if you've got 10 people that you're given one dollar a month and that's true for everybody then you could have a lot of content creators out there who aren't obligated to take sponsorships and aren't obligated to have aggressive advertising in their videos and are Mm. able to uh kind of just you know keep going with making the content that satisfies them and satisfies their audience without sacrificing a part of themselves. But I I've been a patron on and off of a lot of different creators over the years, because I gen- do, I do genuinely believe that that's kind of the future of content creation. Yeah, for
0: sure. Um. Yeah. My hope is that it just doesn't, Get regulated too much somehow. Because um, there are problems like with Patreon. There's a lot of people that just don't even want to use it now.
1: I don't um, blame them. I see the problems uh, with Patreon. Definitely. Like, uh, I'll, okay, allow me to bitch for a moment. Um, yeah. pa- Patreon does not allow you to do one time donations. The way you have to do a one time donation, if you're doing it through Patreon, is you subscribe for a month, you set the amount you want to donate, and then you have to unsubscribe. I right. think that's stupid, and I think they're limiting their platform by not embracing that. Um, but not a, there's not any platform I've been able to find that's perfect.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of the problem that I'm worried about because I mean, there's nothing holding back uh, PayPal from just shutting down their your account if they don't like you. Yep, and yeah, it's the same for any of these platforms, and that's that's exactly what. I think people so have to be people open-minded. Patreon.
1: People see Subscribestar and they go, oh, well, they must be a right-winger. No, it's just another option for people who are disgusted with Patreon. Yeah, right. So it's Hopefully. like Patreon's kind of the face right now of independent content creation, but I think there's a lot of opportunity in that sector uh, to really branch out. And there just has to be a service where you can select, Hey, I want to support per, per creation, or I want to support per month, or I want to do a one-time donation. I just want a site that does all that. All right. With discord integration. There really isn't one out there. I've looked and, um, I came close to one, but then it had some serious issues with how it handled like people's identities because um, mm. I want a degree of anonymity for the one-time donators because I do feel that there's an audience of people out there who want to give a bit of money, but they don't want their name attached to it. I respect yeah. that, and um, that's kind of a problem. Because I mean, mm. I don't know. You never know what happens with a content creator. I could become schizophrenic tomorrow and start, you know, shit posting on the internet about a bunch of egregious shit and get banned from all the social media platforms, and then your name's attached to a donation uh where like you donated to this crazy motherfucker like no yeah. he he was sane when i donated but people don't see that nuance <laughs> so there's a valid that, reason to want to donate anonymously
0: because yeah. people do go crazy that's very interesting i never thought about that before huh well you just brought another level of complexity for me to, <laughs> to think through. about yeah, <laughs> yeah. shit
1: oh man when it comes to money uh, things get complex very quickly
0: yeah that's for sure yeah tangible assets man I like things I can hold (laughs) well uh, money is what uh, basically buys
1: time for me to make videos right so instead of working a job I'm working you know 8 hours on a video yeah
0: I would say, never quit your day job, man.
1: (laughs) I do agree with that sentiment. Uh, If if only from a, you want to keep a relationship with the people kind of mentality. Yeah, that too. But I think, there is a point where you could, where feasibly content creators become big enough, and that's when they start, that's when they become employers. Right. Because, I don't know, if Ross Scott's trying to uh, get an editor for his show. Because mm-hmm. um, he's just having so many problems with that. Which, I think he beats himself up too much for it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I wonder why he doesn't. But he probably doesn't make that much money off of YouTube, so, to be
1: honest. um he is, he's been experimenting with editors for uh, the last couple of videos. And, uh, I mean, he makes... He does make a decent chunk of change and he's living in Poland, which helps his financial situation because it's a lot cheaper than living in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, you know, money's money. Uh, if you're able to hire an editor, I think that's a, that's kind of the turning point because there's a lot of character in pe- how people edit. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't matter if the, it, it doesn't matter if the editor is a fucking clone of the person. You lose some of that character when you when you outsource the editing, which I think is how he feels about it. And he feels bad about it. But at the same time, it's like even then more of your writing is getting out there and more of your personality. So I think it's a net positive. But I think that's that's the point where you can where you can quit your day job and say your day job is uh, content production.
0: Yeah, that'd be an interesting spot to be for sure um uh, i know like do you i watch tim pool uh,
1: uh i catch tim pool every now and then when the when the system ordains that i'm allowed to watch him uh <laughs> or uh sargon of Akkad. i used to watch sargon of Akkad,
0: but uh just kind of lost interest uh, okay um he recently made a thing called a podcast of the lotus eaters and he's basically doing what tim pool is doing When rented a studio and he's got mm-hmm. employees now and it's all it's all uh, funded by the audience. So I think it's really cool he's gotten to that point. But. I think
1: it yeah, I think um you know the Renaissance had a lot of patronage, but when that was patronage it was the upper class aristocrats who were who were uh almost entirely funding the painters and sculptors and stuff. Uh now it's you know, the common man that is giving money to these people. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. All right. So I don't think uh, there's really anything else to say.
0: Okay. Yeah. That was an interesting thought. Sorry. You just caught me off guard. Um, do you think star citizens ever going to be finished? No,
1: <laughs> I think if it is finished, it'll just be one solar system. And that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think that's the biggest fucking scam in gaming history.
1: <laughs> oh, well, that's just me. I feel bad for all those people that spent tons of money on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I can't. Hard to feel too bad because it did make them happy at some level. Right. Which is kind of weird. I don't support systems that rely on blind consumerism like
0: that. Hmm. All right, man. Well, um, so you want to shout out your uh, YouTube channel and any social media stuff you got? Where can people find you?
1: You can uh, subscribe to me on YouTube at Patrician TV. Uh, everything else is linked on that channel page. If you're interested, there's a Discord server and there's a Twitter. That's the main things. Uh, the Twitter is basically just for like shit posting about YouTube, really. Unless so, like, there's no meaningful content on Twitter anywhere, anyways. So. Um, I would only say subscribe to me on YouTube. Like, don't subscribe for my personality. Subscribe for the content that I'm I'm bringing to the table.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would also say uh, don't go and just subscribe because... he's on the podcast or whatever. If you're Mm -hmm. going to subscribe, make sure you actually watch the videos because if you have a sub that isn't watching your videos, it's going to make the channel worse. It'll say, Oh, they're sub not interested. I'm going to stop recommending that.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's not quite, that's not quite it. It's just dead subscribers. Don't look good. Uh, and I mean, more than anything, like you want your sub to mean something. It's always been a big thing to me, and I had to explain to people in the Morrowind video, which I think was lost on a few people, that what I did with the Morrowind video is not easily done. It took Mm -hmm. me 18 months to do. Part-time, making other videos alongside it. I mean, even if I were to streamline the process and do it full-time, it would take me months to do. And uh, it's not what I want to do I don't want to do that all the time but I think people are some a couple people are definitely subscribed because they want me to do that all the time and that's what I try that's what I'm trying to communicate to people is watch the boneworks video that's more like what you're going to get regularly
0: okay awesome man well I really appreciate you taking the time to do this it's like fucking cool dude
1: no it's been great uh, I see. That, um, I see that we're at two and a half hours.
0: Yeah, dude, that's going to be a great episode. So.
1: <laughs> Just give. Uh, make sure I. I will criticize you for this. Make sure you got like a more energy in the intro when you when you're bringing it on. I oh know it's, yeah, I know, I know um, it's a chill show, but.
0: No, that that specific episode you listened to, uh, my wife was saying, "You sound so sad." <laughs> yeah it was, <laughs> it was such a
1: it was such a disparity because I was like oh this is gonna be like a really chill episode and then you got to the actual interview and you had a lot more energy and I was like oh
0: okay so I I think I was like half drunk half asleep (laughs) editing like just in some sort of stupor when I I did that
1: I just got to get something in this section yeah I I feel that I've I've, I've, I've had that happen
0: so yeah Yeah, I'll definitely put some energy into this one (laughs) no I appreciate the feedback it was
1: cool, and I'm going to, uh, when I listen to this, I'm going to recommend it to uh, my Discord community because I think it kind of answers a lot of the questions I've been getting.
0: Okay, interesting. So. Cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, I'm really not, I don't need advertising or anything. I just want it to be organic, but if you feel like that's something you want to do, then sure.
1: I think it'll help you out because I, I'm trying to foster a community that subscribes based on if they're going to watch it.
0: Right. And that's, I was, I was experimenting with that idea. So one of the thoughts I had was, uh, I wanted to start out podcasts with like just offensive shit. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was going to ask you this, but it's been like a more intellectual conversation and (laughs) I almost feel stupid trying to do it. But, uh, my idea was if I asked people about like their worst shit story, like say Mm -hmm. you shit your pants in a store or something, so that'd be the very first question, and I, the intention is to set the bar really low, and then go into whatever complex issues there are, because we could be talking about quantum physics or something after yep. it. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to make sure people are like in it for the ride, you know.
1: I get that conceit. Um, you you would scare people off like my dad. My dad's very first impressions
0: uh, when yeah. when he comes well, to his content. Yeah, it's like a double edged sword because like a new listener might not be. They'd know be like, What the what I'll the fuck is this? Things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. so it might be good to have like a standout
1: podcast where you don't do that and then um uh let that be kind of people's first impression and then once once they're in, then you give them that treatment.
0: I see.
1: Like a thirty minute yeah.
0: mark maybe. Yeah, that's a good thought. Uh oh, no. There's a lot to think about, man. Uh you definitely definitely gave me a lot to think about today, so I appreciate that and I hope it helps anybody that listens to this. So yeah, man. I uh I appreciate your time and I will stay in touch, sir. Okay. I um
1: I will send you the audio once I uh put some filters on it.
0: Okay, perfect. All right. S- Thanks, See you man. later. But alrighty, and that was the show. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, please remember to subscribe and share with your friends this podcast. It's uh, it is what it is. This is the UFH podcast. If you think anybody would be interested in this, please let them know. Shoot out links and shit. I don't use social media, so it's all word of mouth, dude. If you like it, feel free to do whatever. Feel free to be you. This is what the world is all about, right? Making your own individual decisions. However, I will recommend that you check out Patrician TV on YouTube. Leave him a subscription or a like or whatever you do if you like the content. And uh, I don't know, you can even say, hey, I'm here from UFH Podcast. Cheers or something. And Fuck, I don't know about dude. Might be cool, though, to see that, just so we know that something actually happened. Anyway, I hope you have a wonderful day. I love you. Have a awesome day. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye.